So they'll see this, oh, Bobby from Scott's Squad, or this is this chilled out sober vegan. <laughs> and then they'll watch me do stand up and they're like, oh my God, what's happened to that guy? I just see the thought of thinking I'm going to die. Like, it was, uh, it was a spiritual experience for me. 20 stone, I was addicted to junk food. I was on antidepressants. I became sober. Changing the Headlines Leadership Podcast with your host, Stephen McLeish. Making the world a better place by adding value one person at a time. Impacting the world by impacting your world. Bringing you love, life, and energy. So stay seated, keep your arms and legs inside the vehicle at all times, because it's about to blow your mind. Three, two, one, and we have liftoff. Hi there guys, my name is Stephen McLeish and I'm your host and welcome to the Dream School Podcast where you have permission to dream big and every week we have an inspiring message or an inspiring guest and today we've got an inspiring guest. We've got Darren Connell who is a stand-up comedian, a BAFTA nominated actor. He's most notably known for the popular role he plays in Scott Squad as Bobby and he is a writer, he's done many other things, he's just an absolute inspiration and an all-around legend. Darren, thanks so much for coming on. Thank you very much for having me, mate. Um, I hope you don't mind the background of my bedroom. Well, the uh, listeners won't, but maybe when the people view it will. <laughs> <laughs> did, did I pronounce your, your surname right? I, I always get like bad with surnames, even though I've read it about a million times. Yeah, you pronounced it fine, mate. Not a problem. Really? Not a problem at all. So how how things been, mate? Things are fantastic. Um, I've been lying in my bed all day watching really bad uh, films, like horror films, low-budget ones. So I had to get up there and wash my face for the first time today to get on this podcast, mate. Just so thank me? you very much. I feel so honoured, mate. <laughs> Thank you very much for um, asking me on. How's your day been? My day, my day's been pretty, pretty quiet as well. I think you know, I was saying this to my wife today. I was like, you know, even though when like when we were in lockdown, we were all told to you know isolate, stay in the house, you know, with that whole one hour thing. But I think mentally, you still kind of think you still have to do that. Like, so I've been kind of you know still thinking that, and soon as you see. Any excuse that comes up, like if the car's not working, or there's, there's, I mean, is, is it not been a storm today or something in Scotland? Yeah, there was a storm. Um, I can't remember what it was called, but it was pretty bad, mate. It was, it was looking grim. What would you call a storm? What would I call it? Yeah. Like a name? Yeah, I, what would your name for a, a storm? The, the nation of Scotland's coming knocking at your door and they're saying, Darren, we need a name for the next storm. What, what would you call it? It's, it's always really bad ones in Scotland, isn't it? It's like Betty and Philip oh, and stuff. Yeah, like <laughs> I would probably, um, I don't know, um, Bernadette. <laughs> Stop Bernadette. Very fancy. <laughs> That's a posh song. <laughs> I've got an auntie called Bernadette and I'm scared there, so um, that I... Right, that so I... That's brilliant. So, How about you? Hi. It was one of the ones I shouldn't ask us because I know he's going to file back. <laughs> he's going to ask me. <laughs> um, I don't know. Uh, I mean, it needs to be something ridiculous. Don Jessica. 
And mate, I've just lost any subscribers I have at this podcast right now at this stage. <laughs> yes, uh, That so, sounds like a made up name. It was. When you're like, I, I, know, I don't know one person with that name. Uh, <laughs> so, as I said, mate, thank you so much for, for c- coming on. This is only episode two. Um, and so I, I love that you've taken, you've taken the risk to come on to my podcast. So, thanks very much, mate. Uh, but the whole the whole premise is called Dream School, and what we're trying to do is we're trying to get people from different you know different walks of life, you know actors, musicians, rugby players, even politicians and uh, like comedians and actors like yourself, and just to get to know your story, your journey, how you got there, um, and any advice that you may have for people who is looking to get into that that line of work, and that's why we're calling it Dream School because. I don't know about you, when I was at school, I just felt like it was very limited. And when I grew up, there's actually so much out there in the world. And, you know, all my friends do all, and, you know, you're one of them all do amazing different stuff. And so but before I get into that, I just wanted to, people to get to know you, like who you are. And I think the best way to do that is to go back to the start. Like, what was life like for Darren growing up? Wow, that's a bit deep, isn't it? Um, <laughs> I sorry, mate. I forgot to say we're going straight deep in here. But, you know, no house aware of. Hi. Well, I've you know just a typical kind of Glaswegian upbringing, working class family, um, a very loving mum and dad, a couple of big brothers and stuff, but no one from my family was uh, artistic or went towards the acting side. Um, my granddad was like really, really funny and my mum was really funny. So my granddad, my granddad had this knowledge of comedy and films and stuff that were just unbelievable. And I remember going to his house when I was a kid and all that. And he used to make me watch uh, Laurel and Hardy and the Marx Brothers. And, it planted a seed for me for um, the love of comedy and film. And I was a wee bit of a lone wolf when I was growing up. Um, so I kind of just get lost in films. And that was uh, what I remember in my childhood, wrestling and things like that, like pure pantomime and just watching that and thinking, what is that stuff? And I never even really knew what stand-up comedy was. Like I used to watch Billy Conway and things and just, they really explained to me what a comedian was. So I just to watch Billy Conway and think, is he like my uncle or something? Until I got older and realised that he wasn't he. <laughs> Billy Conway. Me and Billy Conway's your uncle. Hi. <laughs> and how, what was school like? Uh, I'm going to ask you quickly, is people going to watch this or is it just for audio? Uh, maybe later on they'll watch it, but mainly we're focusing on audio. Right, okay. So, um, school, primary school was pretty awful. Um, I would say I was a black sheep. I wasn't unliked. I had friends and stuff, but I was just, you know, I never could learn properly. I never took any information in. I was made to feel like I wasn't a good learner. And... Um, it got sucked at me. Like any life or or enjoyment I had for in school was just 
kind of crushed out me by like unsupportive teachers and all that kind of stuff. So I used to daydream quite a lot and obviously, like I said, I loved movies and films and comedy, but primary school was um, dreadful for me. And I would say, I remember going into high school when I left primary school thinking, I'm not going to do that again. I'm going to be like a new person. It certainly wasn't like unenjoyable. I had nice classmates and stuff, but I just I didn't I did not like it one one bit. Wow. And it's a that it's amazing that having that background and the person that you turned out to be, like for something that's you said sucked the life out of you because you're just a guy that I know is fully life. Um and I, I was, I was like, then a wee bit of like, you know, like just some things I don't know or already know about you. <laughs> just like try to find out stuff. And I can't believe we've not talked about this. Um, that you went to Peru and uh, that and tried the Alaska experience and that stuff. I can't believe we've not talked about that. And uh, do, just tell people first of all what Alaska is. Tell them what, what that is. You'll probably explain it much better than me. So I'm not, I'm the same as you, I'm not an expert on it, so it's ayahuasca, don't even ask me how to spell that, I know it starts with an A. <laughs> don't, definitely don't ask me. And uh, it's a plant, it's a plant-based medicine, that's what they say it is, it's made up from three different types of stuff, two is tree bark and there's something in it called DMT. And I can't, I can't pronounce what DMT is, but it's something that's in your brain and it's a natural chemical and they brew it in this pot. Now, in Peru and these South American countries, um, ayahuasca is a massive spiritual experience. It's been in the country for thousands of years. So supposedly when you drink it, it gives you a spiritual purge, spiritual, physical and mental purge. And about two years ago, uh, I went over, I travelled, because I kind of had a wee, I had a, a speed bump in my life and I thought I need to, I need to change up how I live, I need to change how I feel, and I seen that, it was always something that was made me curious, but, and I love the term against the grain as well, I found that through uh, sobriety, and I thought, I called my show against the grain and I seen this trip to Peru and I was like, if that isn't the perfect example of against the grain, I don't know what is. And um, I booked up and I went for three weeks. Wow. And it was it was fantastic. It wasn't great at the time, it was scary, but looking back, I don't regret it now. So um, would you say it works? Because there's a, like, when I... Uh, for the people listening that don't know about it, uh, some uh, resources I go, uh, is Zac Efron's latest uh, documentary on Netflix down to Earth. I'm sure it's, a, it's in one of the episodes. They go and experience it. James English, who's a podcast on documentary, he actually done a really interesting documentary and his experience on it. So if you don't know much about it, I recommend you go and check that out about it. But there seems to be this big debate, that because it's banned in the UK, am I right? Um, yeah, it's illegal this big debate that it does work or it doesn't work so I'm interested to know for somebody who's first hand experienced it well 
It's, it's not like a fairy tale story. It's, it's terrifying. It's really, really scary. Like, would I take it again? I probably wouldn't. Um, I went over there, I took it six times, and from the moment I got there until I left, I thought I might die, you know. Really? It was, because it was, when I went over there, I was 20 stone. I've spoke about this in interviews and stuff. Uh, 20 stone, I was addicted to junk food. I was on antidepressants. I became sober, but I was dancing around not um, staying sober. I was thinking about going back to drinking. And I just went over there as a kind of last option, I felt. But it made me stop taking antidepressants. I told to stop taking them because it mixes the chemicals up in your brain. So that was a godsend that made me stop taking them and it made me go on a forced kind of detox. And when I came back, I thought, do you know what? That was, I've, I've probably got material from my stand-up show. I'll get something funny out of it. It's probably not done anything for my life, but two years later, um, I'm still sober. I've lost, I don't know. I'm a, I was a 42 in a waist and now I'm a 34 in a waist, I think. I was a triple XL and now I'm an XL. In fact, I'm a, a large now. Wow. And I remember going there, there was quite a lot of vegans there. And I actually thought vegans, like laughing out loud, like sn sniggering at them. I'd never be a vegan. And now <laughs> I've been like a vegan for two years. So. And mate, you're a vegan, you're an advocate vegan, you're a hardcore shit from the rooftop vegan. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, I just never thought I would be, I've never been an unhappy person, I've always been positive and happy yeah. and stuff, but when I was that size and on antidepressants, I just thought, oh, this is my life now, kind of, um, the comedian that's, you know, typical, stereotypical comedian, it's a sad kind of clown, but that's a lot of nonsense, what a lot of silliness that is, so... Um, it's when I look back on it now that I realise that it's been good for me and changed my life, but it was terrifying. Like, see the process of... You basically just drink it and you purge. That's all you do. Drink it and just purge into this thing called a purge bucket. And, uh, yeah, it's it's crazy. Man, I, I would love to go to Peru and and go to the Amazon thing and all that, but I don't think I what, would want to do that, but <laughs> for myself oh. anyway. <laughs> when I, it was quite comical though, because uh, we, when we went up the Amazon in this boat, um, I got off the boat and I was just broken. At that time I was broken, but all these um, local lads that were from Peru, um, some of them have never seen a fat person in their life. So the <laughs> they seen this twenty stone guy getting off a boat. They were looking at me like I was an alien. And uh, there was this like family there that worked there and helped the camp. And there was a few of them that were just looking at me like a, like I was a ghost or something. And towards the end of the holiday, they were saying that we've never seen a fat person before. They were only saying it in a a cruel way or yeah. anything like that. It was just we've never seen this. And. Uh, during that two weeks, that's when I realised, I was like, I'm doing a lot of bad things to my body here. Like, just, I went through some type of detox. And I just see the thought of thinking I'm going to die. Like, it was uh, 
it was a spiritual experience for me. I kind of came back and I was like, I'm going to have a go at it. Well, mate, you're, you're looking great. You're absolutely looking great. Skin's glowing. And and you are, mate, you're inspired me. Actually, the last time we met up, I, I felt like so guilty because I was sitting just, you know, knocking back colours and coffees and you were drinking like, I mean, I think you had a coffee, but then you had a, what's that stuff called? And I cannot stand it, kombucha or? Kombucha. Yeah, and you were just like total like disciplined and strict and I was like going away like, man, I need to get my life sorted out. Um, I need to become a vegan. Um, and then I think I had a steak that night, but um, <laughs> um, so mate, you're absolutely man hats off to you looking look and and you've really inspired me um on because i on your your post you've been like you've been going out doing personal training and still working out and i think a lot of people especially in lockdown it's kind of i'll start back when the gym's open back up um which i'm guilty of that but you you've inspired me to like at least go out walking because i've seen you doing it on social media and it's so thank you for that buddy Oh, mate, no problem at all. I, I do find it quite comical how, you know, people kind of look at me like I'm a spiritual kind of vegan guy. And, you know, I wish you could have seen my stand-up like two years ago when I was just this loose cannon on stage. And my sense of humour is so dark. And when people still come to see me, my sense of humour hasn't changed. So they'll see this, oh, Bobby from Scott Squad, or this is this chilled out sober vegan. <laughs> And then they'll watch me do stand-up and they're like, oh my God, what's happened to that guy? But, uh, you know, I just know what I'm like as a person now, mate. Like, I know that, I don't know if that makes me a strong person, because when I put junk food into my body or negativity, or if I surround myself with negativity, I'm a very hypersensitive person. Like, it can take me down a dark path. Like... So that's why I just avoid things that are bad for me, and I know what's bad for me. Negative things, junk food, alcohol, substances. Try and exercise every day. If I stick to that, I do all right. And if I don't, then I end up 20 stone in a rainforest thinking what happened to my life. <laughs> so very wise, please, mate. Very wise. So let's 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 now like kind of segue onto a uh, yeah career and stuff like that when when Darren left him um, first actually what did what did Darren want to be when he was a wee boy what did you want to be when you grew up honestly like um I've always lived when I was a kid I was definitely felt like I was a black sheep and lived in a wee fantasy world of my own and my mum I remember my mum getting cable when I was five and she told me about wrestling WWF and I started watching that and I became so obsessed with it. Like, it was just my life right up until maybe I was 13 or something. So I always wanted to be a wrestler. Um, but then again, not knowing that it was entertainment, I thought that was real life. Uh, but yeah, when I was a kid, it was WWE wrestling. And you, you were in a bit same age as me, so that would have been back when it was Roy's War and SmackDown and yeah. Who is your favourite wrestler? Oh, it has to be the British Bulldog. He's number one. Then Bret Hart, uh, Owen Hart, yeah. the Hart Foundation, all those kind of guys. Mister Perfect, he was good. 
and uh, gold dust as well because he's just mental. Uh, what about you? I like uh, I mean, the guys. I think when I was really wee, I, it was the Ultimate Warrior was my, um, and I think when I, I was a bit older, it was definitely The Rock. Like it was yeah. the, the Rock, and my favourite tag team was the Hardy Boys because they could do flips. And that yeah. was the only reason. No, like I look back, and that was the only reason because they done front flips. I think. I always used to think like if that's what they're really like in real life, how come how come they're no like you're seeing them in Asda and Morrison's and stuff? Imagine just walking in Morrison's and seeing Goldust, like just getting a loaf of bread, <laughs> just casually. <laughs> like all right, Goldust. <laughs> And when you like finished like um, high school, what, what did you pursue to do? Did you, I mean, did you, did you go and work in a normal job? Did you go to college or university? What did you go ahead to do? Well, I left high school at the start of fifth year, and um, high school was the same. You know, I did. I always tried my hardest. I was I was good at things like PE and music, but when it came to any other thing like English or computing, I just could not pay attention. So I was more of a class clown and stuff, probably for the wrong reasons. Uh, when I left, I just, I remember I got up from school. I got up for school on the day and I just thought, I'm leaving school today. I went down to the school, left, got all the documents signed, never even told my family. Came back to my dad's house and my dad was like, why did you leave school? you need to get a job now or go back to school. So I went and got a job and I got a job within two weeks at a supermarket called Safeway and it was for £3.45 pence an hour and I was working five days a week from seven to four and my first wage was £100. And I went round to Blockbuster Video and I spent all the money on DVDs. <laughs> Oh, Blockbuster was that was the boy, eh? Yeah, that was brilliant. So I never really ever thought about what I wanted to do. I wanted to be to do drama, but I just did not have the confidence, and I felt like I never looked good at that stage of my life. I've always struggled with my with my weight. So you know, be, I, when I was like sixteen, I think I was like eighteen stone with confidence issues. So I thought if I walk into a drama college and there's gonna be all these beautiful actresses and actors, I just don't know if I can deal with that. So it held me off for a couple of years, but I was supposed to do a drama audition at Langside College and I had an audition set up and I canceled it. And, and in fact, I never turned up. And then I went and did TV production and sound recording because I thought that was gonna be acting for some stupid reason and it obviously wasn't it it was just all paperwork and numbers and something that I struggle with and same again I became a I left actually and then I got a job in Asda and from the age of 18 till I was 22 I was just a trolley boy and I honestly had no problem like just accepting like oh I was to be a trolley boy it's an easy job um, you're walking about getting fresh air in the car park. 
in a negative way, I could go in with hangovers and walk about and nobody would annoy me. And my family got off my back because I had a job. And I got to, I was 22 and I thought, I'm going to get a trade. I'm very like spur of the moment decisions. I was like, I'm going to get a trade. And I picked up a college uh, leaflet with all the courses in it. And I thought, I, I want to get a trade, but I don't want to do four years. So I found um, the barber course and I thought, well, I'll be a barber. <laughs> and I joined the barber college and I got it. I got the certificate, went and worked on a barber's for a couple of years. And it just made me realize that I'm no, there's something missing in my, my life here. And uh, I was skiving the course one day and I started to walk about the college course and I seen a poster on the wall and it said stand-up comedy course, 10 week course with a gig at the end of the course. And I thought, wow, I just felt like I had my mind blown away. And I joined that course. The guy said, look, we can't teach you how to be funny, but I'll tell you about stand-up. And I did that course for, for 10 weeks and it was uh, unbelievable. And that's what made me realise I want to be a stand-up comedian. Then that, and I think it, so he was saying, I can teach you more about the industry rather than, um, can you teach somebody to be funny? I don't think you can. Um, I think you can get a diamond in the rough and you can get people who are funny that maybe have confidence problems and all that kind of stuff, but you can't teach someone how to be funny. So. I think I was probably a diamond in the rough because I was like, I did a gig when I was 18 actually, and I was just so nervous that my legs were shaking on stage. I couldn't hold the microphone properly. And I was just so crushed at how bad it went because it was awful. My first gig was awful. And then I went and did his course and he taught me about how to hold the microphone properly. And that might sound strange to some people, but I came from a background that your class is weird if you go into the arts or drama or stand-up. All that was um, education. It was an education for me. And then the thought of like, when I did the TV course um, and I was being a class clown, a guy in the course said, you should do stand-up comedy. And I thought, what's a stand-up comedian? And he was like, Billy Conley, Eddie Murphy. Your uncle. I <laughs> Hi, I was like, I, I know him, he's my he's my dad. Um, <laughs> but, and, but that just, a wee light bulb went off in my head. I was like, are you telling me that I, he's like, all you need to do is five minutes. And I said, are you telling me I can write down what's in my head on a sheet of paper and then go on stage and talk about it? And he was just looking at me like I was so silly. And I just, there's something so calming and therapeutic about that to get all these ideas down in a bit of paper. I've looked at my first joke book from 2006 and it's just like wild ramblings, but to kind of go up on stage and to try it out was unbelievable. And this, when I did a gig during that course, and um, because I've got self-awareness, I'm not stupid. Like I would know if I was funny or if I'm not funny. Okay. And I thought, the second time I'm going to do a gig, if I'm that bad, I won't do it again. But the first time was so bad that it would haunt me for the rest of my life. So if I'll do the second one and I'll get a laugh, I'll do it. And I went up, I was supposed to do five minutes. 
I only did two and a half minutes and I get three laughs and I thought there's something here. I just need to gain confidence and I need to respect the industry really and find out about it more. It's interesting that because I've spoke to a few comedians and when I ask them about the the start, it's always yeah, my my first couple of gigs didn't go. I mean, I think everyone them said the first gig that that went flat, you know. Uh, but they say the first couple of gigs didn't go that well. But I got like they always say I had one or two laughs and that that was enough for me to pursue this career. Um, so I think that's interesting that you, yours is the same. You know, you got a few laughs and that was enough to. But what was the for your first time you done stand up to you done stand up again? What was the, the how long was that? What was the gap? Honestly, I did my very first stand up gig when I was eighteen. Um, I know the the stories all kind of muddled there. But, that's what sense, mate. Um, the first gig when when I was eighteen and it was that bad. I never did another one until I was twenty two, and then from twenty two to twenty four. I did something like 16 red rows and that was in between the, that was when I just started the college course. So I think I started the stand-up course when I was about 24 and during this course, when he was telling me about the industry, um, he signed me, he told me, he said, there's this competition called the Scottish Comedian of the Year, which used to be a really massive competition back in the day it's not as big now but a lot of people have won it and he's he said to me um applications have stopped for it but i know the guy who runs it and he could get you in but you'd need to start off obviously in the first round so i joined i joined the competition and during the 10-week course i got to the final and funnily enough the teacher got to the final as well the two years were in the final when I was in his course. I was going and doing his class when the two years were in the final. It was so funny. And after I got to the final, um, for the next year, I did something like 123 gigs because people were just asking me to gig for them now. Brilliant. And is it is it true I heard your, your mate Kevin Bridges gave you some inspiration back in the day as well? Oh yeah, Ke uh, Kevin, uh, look at me, first name terms. Yeah, Kev, you know. <laughs> Man, I know you're <laughs> you so I know. Um, I met him in my fourth gig and he was comparing Red Raw and this is before he became a superstar but he was on the verge of something special so when he walked into the venue, everybody was like, no way, that's Kevin Bridges. And he was so kind to me, he was so nice. And he was just like, I can't, he was like, that's amazing for your fourth gig. Just keep gigging, keep going. And he's like, many gigs have you done? I said, four. And I was like that to him, how many have you done? Have you done like a hundred or something? And he like laughed. He's like, no, I've done thousands. And I was like, what? It totally blew my mind. <laughs> And so somebody else said they'd done 90 gigs. And I was like, 90 gigs? How do you do 90 gigs? And but a few times, I remember one time I was gigging with him at a weekend and I couldn't get the day off Asda. I couldn't get the shift off. They were very unsupportive. Um, horrible, some horrible managers just, just against 
what anybody wanted to do. And I remember being so scared and worried that I was going to lose my job. And he said to me, he's just like, why are you getting so flustered um, about this? You're a stand-up comedian. And there was something so comforting about that. I thought, I feel, I feel like a stand-up comedian. At that point, I was looking at my pay slip and, th and stuff and thinking I'm getting paid as much as a part-time wage in Asda now. So why am I getting depressed about this? And I thought after eight years, uh, nine years of working there, I thought it's time to pursue this. I never hit the ground running straight away, but going in and quitting the job and telling them I'm going to be a stand-up comedian was, um, it was uh, what a weight off my shoulder to just go yeah. in and do that. Wow. Nine years, it's a long yeah, time. Yeah, just keep put, trapped, just accepted it. I mean, I'm not, I've got family members that work in retail and retail was one of the hardest jobs out. You just get treated like a dog. I'm not looking down on that job at all. And if I needed a job, I would still go back and work there. But you get you get lost in this wee prison cell with your own head of thinking, oh, is this what I'm going to do for the rest of my life? And to be honest, I accepted that. I just thought, oh, trolley boy's good. It gives me exercise. It's not the best wage in the world, but at least I'm getting money. Um, I feel productive in yeah. some way. But yeah, I was trapped in a prison 100%. Wow. Wow, and what amazing decision to make and a brave decision. And I think you are somebody that's just fearless. Like, I, I honestly do, mate. There's somebody that's just fearless. Like, um, doing stand-up, I think that is, that's one of the bravest. That that terrifies me to even to go up to do one minute in the type of venues I know stand-up comedians go to. And no, I mean, they're supportive, but it is... Yeah, it just terrifies me. So I think you're incredibly brave, and um, I, I love that story. Just you know, just taking that risk. Um, but like, okay, like say, say I says to you, Darren, I'm like, Darren, I've got to get a gig the morrow, right? And I need to tell one joke, <laughs> right? I need to tell one original joke. How would I even write that? Well, normally um, you've already got it in your head. Um, I think there's a term, I, I'm not 100% sure what it's called, but see if you've got an idea for a story or a script and you've had it in your head for years and you start to put it down on a bit of paper. Someone called, it's like brain fart or brain fog or something. You get it out in the paper and then when you stop writing, that's when it gets hard. So I'm sure you've got an idea of what you would say as a joke you just need to sit down and actually try it and structure it so you could make a joke about yourself i'm sure there's something there you can make a joke if you want <laughs> no, no i've always found uh when i make a joke about myself that's the best because you're not make yourself the joke and you can get away with get away with anything um but it's, it's really hard because I don't write my jokes word for word. I write them in bullet points. So if I was to sit and do a solo show, say I did an hour solo show at the Glasgow Comedy Festival, and you were to look at my book, it would be all in bullet points. It would be bullet point, Peru, sobriety, as the trolley boy, weight, dating, and then from that it would grow. Everybody's got a different style, a technique. 
I've got a lot of, I do a lot of improv, so say for instance, if the stand offered me a gig tonight and they said, do you want to do 10 minutes for new material? I would go down with, I'll go and talk about um, going to holiday in Spain when I was 16 and I'll go up and try and wing it and just see what I can get organically on stage. Sometimes it works and sometimes it horrifically crashes and burns. But that is the beauty of being a stand-up comedian. And that's just my style, really. Oh. And I, would, I remember watching something with Kevin Hart, and he was saying that he came to tours. I think it's like two or maybe even four years, and he like tours all these places and tries out his stuff before he actually puts on the actual, you know, his specials he has on Netflix or whatever it is. Is that the case with all stand-up comedians? And is that something that's quite common today? Oh, definitely. I mean, obviously, I'm not at the, that level of filming things. I, I need to film stuff for to get material online. But if I had a solo show in March, my entire year is spent working out new material for that. So Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday will be new material nights and Thursday, Friday, Saturday will probably be paid gigs for me. So I'll Thursday to Saturday will be the stuff that I know will be getting laughs and Monday to Wednesday will be all the new material for the new shows coming up. But then I feed off the audience quite a lot. I do a lot of improv, I compare. So I just kind of judge each gig as it comes. You get that through experience as well. Um, yeah. Man, I think there's a lot of hard work in that than people, more than people realise. And so obviously you, you're really well known for um, a certain character, um, Bobby from Scott Squad, uh, which is congratulations on that show, all you guys on that show, because that is that's just, you know, it takes a whole team to make it that successful and it's just went from success to success and it, it's great. It's still something I sit and uh, binge watch. Tell us the story how that came about. Oh, thank you, mate. Um, well, it came from a guy called Joe Hullett. Um, he's he's a good friend now. And a couple of years ago, he got a job in the comedy unit as a runner. Runner is like bottom of the ladder, starting off his work experience, and then you build yourself up. And he came up with the idea of Scott Squad, and I think it was in the works. I mean, it's probably 10 years old now, and... It was his creation, and it was a semi-improv idea for a Scottish police show. I think it was based on, you know, the English one. I think it's like soft border control or something. I'm not 100% sure, but he came up with the idea. It's his baby, and it's what it's one of a kind. There's nothing. There's nothing been like that in Scotland since. I was just in the circuit as an open spot um, and he seen me do stand-up at Red Raw one night and he said, I'm working in the comedy unit, we're doing this edition stuff on Friday, it's for a show that I might be working on, uh, do you want to do it? And honestly, see, he, did, he just made it seem so, he didn't make it sound like I don't, I don't know what he made it sound like, but I remember thinking, I don't really want to go in, to be honest. He did, just, he, it's not a big deal, you know, just... Yeah. Yeah. And he's like, 
no, we would really like to see you. And I just thought, oh, I need to take a day off work. And just, I couldn't be bothered. I think I was shy. He explained to me what it is. He's like, it's an improv show. It will be improv games. We want to see you. And I went in on the Friday. I pulled a sickie from Asda. And it was just, I remember walking into this room and it was full of actors. And before I went in, I thought, I've got no acting experience whatsoever. So I'm not going to let that make me a failure. I'll go in and treat this like a stand-up comedy gig. So I went in with the mentality of, I do this with gigs as well. I know it might make me sound mental, but I just think every single person in this room is my best mate. And I'm here to make all my best mates laugh. Why should I be nervous in front of all my friends and family? Because I love them and they love me. So I walked into this audition room thinking, stand-up comedy mode, I'm going to make everybody laugh. And to be honest, it was one of the best days of my life. Like... Everything that could have went well just went well for me. I was very, very lucky. Um, I was getting a lot of laughs and it was really, really enjoyable. But it probably took about five months, four or five months, for me to find out that I got anything. And during that time was when Kevin told me to quit ASDA and stuff. I went to quit ASDA and then I found out um, later on that I got a part. But Joe... He'll openly talk about this, that my audition was so um, surreal and, like, cartoonish, because when I do stand-up, I'm, like, rubber-faced and really stupid with voices and stuff, and they just all thought, like, he was really good, but he's too stupid to be a police officer, so we can't give him a part. And I think it was Joe who thought, well, why don't we make a character for him? We could make him a nuisance that comes into the police station and make him a pest. And then from that, we joined together and we created um, Bobby. Wow. Yeah. So I was pretty chuffed with that. I, I was so silly they had to make a character for me. <laughs> <laughs> I think that, that is, it is, I mean, he's one of the most like I mean there is all popular characters on it but he's extremely popular character from the show so I'm sure um, Joe's glad he did that as well um, as well as I'm sure that you're glad as well um, yeah so what was life what, after you got Scott Squad and you know when it kind of came out and people started to see it and people started to know you as Bobby what was life like well, it was a slow burner because it took it took its time, and the pilot was it was just like kind of it just got released. It wasn't much. We filmed for a day. I think I get three hundred pounds, and I was just blown away, thinking, "Wow!" And it was like I think it was on Monday night at eleven p.m. So not a lot of people seen it at the start, and it wasn't until I get commissioned for a series, and then. I think we found out it get, I don't know, the, the viewing figures, I remember when I found out, we were like, what? It, it just com- confused. I think we got more views than Russell Brand had a show at the time, mm-hmm. and he was U- UK-wide, yeah. and we were only in Scotland, and we get more views than Russell Brand, and that totally blew my mind. It wasn't until I started doing stand-up and stuff, and people in the crowd started shouting Bobby, that I thought, I can't believe this. 
Um, I always used to do well with stand-up, but uh, I did a first solo show after Scott Squad was on and I ended up selling out full nights and stuff. I've, I've n- I never sold out nights. And then obviously having to go self-employed was the major um, thing that I go in to talk to an accountant and he said, what do you work as? And I told him I'm a stand-up comedian. I was. That's when the change happened. I was like, I cannot believe I'm actually having this conversation. Crazy, absolute craziness. Wow. Um, and you got nominated for a BAFTA. I was right when I said that at start. Eh? Yeah, I think it. Yes, I did. I get nominated for a BAFTA, and I didn't win it. But same again. That was a beautiful, beautiful night. Just grateful to be there. Um, I was there with Joe and, you know, my comedy unit family, and it was just a beautiful experience. Uh, I thought I would have took the loss a lot worse, but I was actually just really grateful. And just the feeling of gratitude for that night was just... I think even to get nominated, mate, is, it, it's success. Do you know what I mean? It is. Yeah. It does take... It takes a lot just to get nominated with these things. Yeah. And I think you've got plenty plenty of BAFTA still waiting you mate oh thank you mate I really do and bigger Golden Globes Oscars why not oh very very kind um, and I'm be- you know I'm being genuine about that uh, and what is um, what is one of the biggest highlights of your career because you've done other stuff as well as Scott Squad and I'm sure that's open doors I know you've done a lot of um You've done a lot of pantomime and stuff like that as well, which is great. And I'm sure you've done stuff that I don't even know about. But what has been one of your biggest highlights of your career? Oh, one of the those small things, small yeah. things like I've always wanted to do panto, you know, because my, my stand up comedy is crazy and I, I know what your audience i know you come from the church and stuff you're religious if i went and and did stand up in your church i would melt on stage <laughs> <laughs> you'd be surprised <laughs> yeah but like you know, just, uh, the roof's going to cave in if i go in i'm always like if it was it would have already been caved in because i'm there hi <laughs> but you know like because uh my stand-up, I mean, don't get me wrong, it's always funny, but it's about addiction, suicide, weight problems, relationship problems. It can be very, very dark. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I, I make it deliberately dark, but it's always got a punchline and it's always funny. So to do something like Panto was so exact opposite of how I was living my life. And to get that offer was amazing because in the stand-up industry, a lot of stand-up comedians think you're selling out when you do a panto. And to be honest, I'm just going to be honest, I did as well. Even though I loved panto as yeah. a as a customer, I loved it. And I remember going in as a, a stand-up comedian thinking, should I be doing this? You know, I, I don't know if I should be doing this. I'm a stand-up comedian, that kind of horrible attitude. And when I did it, it, not only is it one of the hardest things I've ever done, but it's the most rewarding thing I've ever done. There's so many people there from all different walks of life. Disabled kids, people people from homeless charities and stuff that were helping and getting people in that can't get tickets to see the show. 
see that feeling of doing a show to people that can't afford tickets. Because I was that when I was young, I couldn't afford tickets to panels. I, I never got any of this. And see that kind of feeling of being able to pay that back. It's, it's the best drug you'll ever get. And then see kids as well. Kids are no stupid. Like, they're just as tough as a, an adult crowd. And, uh, but see getting a laugh off a bunch of kids as well. You're, you're just, when, when you're getting a laugh off a bunch of kids and you're thinking, God, if they only knew my stand up material, but it's just as hard as well. Um, so that, I, I think that was a major, a major, major thing in my life because it made my family proud as well. My mum was always saying, why don't you do panto? And then that way your, your nephews can come and see you and stuff. And I've definitely got the, the bug with that. So that was, I don't know about the biggest, but it was certainly the most uh, rewarding yeah. thing that I've ever experienced. But I've done some amazing gigs as well. We did a, a motor neuron disease gig at the Kings in Bridges was comparing it and it was just the best of Scottish talent on a Monday night in front of I don't know how many how many people has the Kings got? Thirteen ten thousand maybe, yeah. if that. So anyway, I know that. Yeah, it might not be as much as that, but it's it was sold out on a Monday night. We raised I think we raised fifty thousand pounds for the charity and to walk out of that venue on that night just thinking the best gig of my life and to raise that money for an amazing cause was just it's okay it's like good for the soul stuff do you know what i mean that's amazing mate i love that so, stuff. and i love yeah. when you uh you have this wee uh kind of thing you do on twitter and you always put a wee inspirational video saying that always says good for the soul i absolutely love it it, make, it makes my day mate uh brilliant what is, like, if you were to um, go back to the start of your career, like your stand-up career and your acting career, is there anything that you would do differently? Um, in all honesty, I'd probably believe in myself more. Um, I definitely was my biggest um, critic. I've got my Mike Tyson jumper on. I think I heard a quote about him, the only person that can beat the only person that could have bet Mike Tyson was Mike Tyson. And that was true, wasn't it? And I think that was the same with me. Um, I always thought, oh, I'd love to do that, but I'm not good enough. And I don't know if it's held us back because it's my job now and I earn a living and I'm doing what I do. I'm happy with what I get, but just having a lot of anxiety about travelling and not gigging in England as much and not going down to London and kind of always staying in Glasgow and becoming this stand-up, this Glaswegian stand-up comedian instead of a comedian. Yeah. So if I, if I could go back, I would definitely just believe in myself more, um, travel more, do gigs in England. But... This is things that I can still do when yeah, when definitely. we get back to normal. When things get back to normal, um, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to start gigging in England more, probably go over to America. But, I mean, there's a lot of regrets and things that I would do differently, but I've fixed them. Like, I don't drink anymore. I used to go on stage steaming all the time and think that that used to make me funny. And I remember one night someone asked me, um, how many gigs have you done sober? And I, it was just this moment of what have I become? Because I think I did 
say it was 900 gigs and probably the ones that I didn't do drunk, I had a hangover because I couldn't drink. Um, and I just thought I need to, I need to change. If I want to be a professional comedian, I need to stop that because it's probably going to kill me or I'll just become this joke figure that's everybody's laughing at me for the, the wrong reasons. So I've evened that up now. I've balanced that up. I think I've done more. <laughs> I think I've done more gigs sober than drunk. <laughs> Good man. And so what if, uh, like, you know, the purpose of this podcast is just in case there's like maybe a young person or um, especially when we're coming out of this whole lockdown, a lot of people have had time to think and reflect about their careers and stuff. And, and some people just want permission to dream. So what if they're listening to this podcast or watching it and they're saying, I would love to do stuff like that. What would your advice be to that person? You know, as, as simple as it sounds, it's just do it, honestly. 100% do it because um, you're surrounded with people that will drag you down. What do you want to do that for? You need a trade, you need this to fall back on, blah, 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 blah. Well, what's happening now? We're in the middle of a pandemic and nobody's got a job. Trades don't matter. And these are people that are not pursuing their own dreams. Um, obviously, you need to have common sense. I can't say, oh, I want to play for Barcelona because that's not going to happen. But you can be an actor, you can be a comedian, you can be whatever you want to be. Just set up a path and pursue it. You can't just say, oh, I want to be like Brad Pitt in a Hollywood film. You think, well, how can I get to a Hollywood film? How yeah. can that happen? I need to go to drama school. I need to go to college. I need to do three, four years in a drama school and then maybe go on to the university and up your acting, go down to London. If you want to be like Kevin Bridges, then you need to put in the stage time. You need to do 10,000 gigs. You need to do 100 gigs before you call yourself an open spot comedian. Nothing's ever going to get handed to you. Don't let anybody's negativity um, hold you back. Just pursue it. Go for it. Do what makes you happy. Because I've tried to get the trades and stuff and it just does not work unless you want to do it. Yeah. Don't do something that you don't want to do. And then see if you want to be an actor or a comedian and you're not that good at it. You just try it. And then you can go and do something else. Like I wanted to be a barber. I genuinely wanted to be a barber, and then a year down the line, I thought, I hate this. So, no regrets with being a barber either. Yeah, because you can then look back and never say, what if? Aye. Yeah. Um, what if they were like, right, uh, Darren, I'm, I'm, that, that's me, I definitely want, I, I want to be a comedian, I want to uh, act in comedy things, I want, I want to do that stuff, but I just don't know where to start. Yeah. Well, that's the beauty of um, living in 2020, because when I didn't know uh, where to start, I never had an iPhone yeah. or the, the internet. So that's why I struggled. But now you could literally just pick up your phone and put in, if you're in Glasgow, you could put drama classes Glasgow and a thousand things will come up. If you want to be a stand-up comedian, and you're old enough to get into a pub, the stand comedy club, you've got the glee, just go and watch. Um, you get your stand-up comedy courses that you can go and get. It's really, really easy to find this stuff. 
and um, times have changed now. It's more accepting of that industry. When I was, when it was me, when I was 16, saying I wanted to be a drama, and um, my family looked at me like I was a w- in witchcraft or something. But uh, <laughs> times have changed now, and then people know how hard life is. So see if you want, people need this this industry yeah. of entertainment. So um, is is very much easier to. The only person that's holding you back is yourself. That's awesome, mate. And I think, yeah, this industry is its so important. Because um, I was thinking, like, just, you know, through history, when there's been, like, res- recessions or, you know, the Great Depression, a lot of entertainment got people through, you know, like, in all different aspects, but especially comedy. And I think, I know for me personally, um, like, through this this pandemic like I've been watching a lot of comedy movies and a lot of uh, comedy stuff and it's it's helped it's really helped so I think it's so important definitely only talking about it just now has made me realise that since I've been it started off with my granddad like since I've been five I've been obsessed with films comedy movies Um, I got a cinema card five, six years ago and before all this uh, pandemic stuff happened I was going to the cinema four, five days a week I was going to the cinema before I was going to gigs or before I went to the gym that was my life I don't class the cinema as going to see a film that's like meditation for me that's for me to go there and de-stress that's so much more than just watching a film and uh, I never realised that until this happened, uh, like how major that part of my, my life is. Uh, yeah, I kind of lost my train of thought there. I don't know what I'm talking about now. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, It was brilliant answer anyway. Um, so you touched on about, like you says that um, I, I want to go to America and I know the last time you met up, you, you talked a bit about writing. So I'm, what, what is... I know it's kind of a hard question to ask right now, but what is what is next for you? Have you got any projects in the pipeline, and what's the ultimate dream? Well, current work-wise, um, we just got a pantomime cancelled there due to the circumstances, which is okay. I can do it. We get offered it again for next year. Uh, Scott Squad's going to start back up soon because it gets stopped on set. Wow. Uh, due to COVID and uh, I'm currently working on a couple of short ideas for short scripts for personal projects nothing I mean I'm saying nothing major's coming up obviously Scott's God's coming up that's major yeah. but the dream is to start getting some acting work that is not comedy even though I love comedy but I'd, I'd love to start doing uh, some acting stuff I was, I'm having a brain fart here, but I had a small, small part in, I can't remember, I can't even remember what it was called. Jodie Whittaker was in it. Okay. And a guy from uh, The Inbetweeners. I can't believe I can't remember that. It's because I'm nervous and on the on the podcast. Okay, you're doing great, so don't be nervous. But see, because it was like three days work and I wasn't like Bobby from Scott Squad, um, I thought, I, I want to do this, so... I love comedy, I love acting. I'd love to get some serious stuff, like some serious stuff, like maybe shave my hair off and be a psychopath in a, a so vigilante a bit, film or something. A bit of method acting. 
Aye. Uh, I'm not putting weight on, though. No chance. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I could never pull myself back for that. Um, but that's but then through all this, it's gave me a gratitude um, to life because I was I was in a rat race before this. I wasn't answering emails because I was so stressed. I was so worried about money and work and all that kind of stuff. And it's made me realise what's important. And my work now is enjoyable. And it's not life or death for me anymore. So I just want to be happy, healthy. And I'm sure things things will come. Wow. If you build it, they will come. One of my favourite quotes of all time. And I actually love that movie. And I, be, I believe in that. I absolutely believe that if you if you build something, the things will come. Um, man, I think, you know, I think, man, Scotland's got so much more for you to conquer in terms of the, this industry. But I also think the world's your oyster. I, I really do. I, I would not be surprised to see your face on the big billboard for a big giant production movie. Like, I really wouldn't. I would not. It would not surprise me if I seen that. If I walked down the street and I seen, you know, uh, Darren's and Wanted Three. I don't know. Did have Wanted Two? I don't know. <laughs> it's like, but you know, because I remember what buying seen like James McAvoy and be like, man, that guy's the guy's made it. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like, so um, I, I I would not put it past you. Um, and also. I can see you selling out things like the hydro, but no, just no, just in Glasgow. I mean, the venues everywhere over Australia. I think Australia would absolutely love you. New Zealand, um, America. I mean, everybody's related to us in America anyway. So go and see your cousins. Might <laughs> be that's the dream. I love your positivity. I always remember. I don't know how we started following each other, but I was like, I just almost. What was that? I just started stalking you, you know. Like, like hey, I'm having a podcast and please come on it. Hi. <laughs> I always like kind of look at people who are, would you say you're spiritual or religious? Spiritual? I'd probably say more spiritual, yeah. So I look at people that are like really spiritual and think, I'm so jealous. So, so jealous of that guy. And then obviously I see your positivity and stuff and I'm like, he's a good guy. I like, I like you. I knew I sound like a stalker. I sound like I'm going to bundle you in the booty of my motor. What's your postcode? But you know something like um, through through lockdown, and I said this the last time. I was like, mate, we're friends for life now. And through lockdown, I think I don't know if we would our paths would have crossed, and maybe you know it's been one of the best moments to make great friends like you. So I'm taking that with it, you know. Um, but yeah, I would not be jealous of me one bit. <laughs> uh, oh mate it's been absolutely brilliant just chatting to you just having it on this is one of the most relaxed ones you know they're just my brother from another mother <laughs> it's like, yeah. uh, but you know as I was saying like you, we, um, I think we connected on Twitter at first or something like that but how do people what's the best place to connect with you where, where can people see your stuff and, and connect with Darren well, um, you can get me on Twitter. Um, my user, um, my user handle is DarrenConnell87. I think my name is the Vegan Gorilla. I post more kind of jokey stuff and all that stuff on my Twitter. If you want to see my kind of lifestyle, um, I'm on Instagram. It's DarrenConnell again, but that's just um, 
meals and my training or you can add me on Facebook but um, that's where I've, that's where I've seen your poetry on Twitter mate and I loved it that's why I get in touch with you actually that's, was that the first message I sent you? yeah was it your poem? yeah yeah, yeah. that was brilliant mate thank you I appreciate that buddy I was like watching that four in the morning, couldn't sleep, and I was like, "Oh my god, that's amazing!" Yeah, yeah, I remember that now because I, I I woke up at randomly, um, and somebody shared it, and I just you know I like to always retweet like just as partly gratitude if I'm to share stuff, and I retweeted it, and then that's when we started just uh, chatting away. Yeah, so that's yeah, know that if they needed to know that it's listening, but yeah. So. Oh no, it's fantastic. It was brilliant. What's it been like for you? Like you know how someone that comes for the church and you're you're kind of dipping your toe into this industry of darkness. Uh, has that been alright for you? Has it been a good experience? Yeah, mate. I think um, I think the church world maybe don't didn't always understand what I was trying to do. But you know, it is a, it can be dark. Like and you you can testify to that I know you could like it can be a dark interest just because there's so many broken people and things like that and so my whole thing is I want to be the light in that place you know like I don't want to avoid the darkness I want to go into places and be and be the life and be the um and that but I I love it mate I feel like I'm called to do that I feel like I'm wired to do that um so you know like all the people in that, I just click with people who's in the, that whole entertainment industry and, you know, it's just personalities are quite similar. Um, so I think it's um, most people in my line of work don't mix it to but I just feel like it's, I, I wouldn't have it any other way. I hope that makes sense. It makes sense. You're welcome, mate. <laughs> Thank you, buddy. <laughs> Thank you so much. Uh, Anyway, buddy, it was. Um, I'm going to let you um, get some rest or whatever you're going to maybe watch more stuff on. Um, I don't know Netflix or whatever it is you've been doing. Uh, I'll maybe go go a run. I don't know, but oh, thank you, thank you, my friend, so much for coming on. I really, extremely appreciate it. But just before we go, is there anything that anything that all you'd like to say to the good people? I'm going to have um, toast and beans for my dinner tonight. It's it's very, very simple for me. <laughs> no, I'm not going to end it like that. Imagine that after the amazing chat. Well, we had. So everybody's like, oh, fair enough. Because <laughs> <laughs> you know what? I love toast and beans. They're brilliant. <laughs> uh, no, I just hope, you know, whoever's watching this, I hope they enjoy it. Um, I've said a lot of this stuff before in other interviews, so I hope... Um, uh, I'm not repeating myself, but it's just good to talk to good people with like mate, like-minded things in life, mate. And uh, thanks for having me on. No worries, mate. And I wish you all the best. God bless. Uh, you.